Welcome to Communion House Podcast with Pastor Moses Anderson, a ministry raised by God for the rebirth of the early church with a strong commitment to seeing others rise and shine in these last days. Join Pastor Moses for today's message. You know, there's been a theme uh, to these messages, particularly the Tuesday ones. And so if you've been following the prophetic teaching on Tuesdays, you would see um, that the focus has really been on getting to posture our hearts right by knowing who we are, by being reminded of who we are. Uh, Because again, as I like to say, if we know that we are an army, then we begin to exercise ourselves right. We begin to train right. And we begin to um, get ourselves more familiar with our artillery, with the weapons of our warfare. Uh, Because at the end of the day, when you look at the various names uh, given to us in the word of God, it's very clear uh, that God, you know, is very intentional um, about us knowing who we are. And last week, remember that I shared with us uh, the power of a name looking at the life of Gideon and how Gideon's name, how Gideon's name uh, from birth has been a representation of his calling and his name that he got along the way as well. Because when he was born, he was called Gideon. And along the way, he was called Jerubbaal. And Jerubbaal means the one that contends with Baal or the ones that Baal or Baal contends with. And you see that his name played out in his life. And Gideon, I believe by the grace of God, is an example of the church. He's an example to us believers today. When you look at other examples that we've taken, even some of the ones that I mentioned last night of names in the Bible, look at the name Abraham, how it became Abraham, because God was ready for the man to start to align himself with the will and the purpose of God for his life. He was to fulfill destiny by being the father of many nations. Uh, But he was only called the exalted one or the exalted father. Um, But then to be exalted does not necessarily speak of your fruitfulness. And then God had to give him a name or or upgrade his name. And the reason why this, I mean, this concept of naming and identity has been very important lately is because we have mostly been going by the names that have been given to us by other people. You know, Christians all over the world are called Christians uh, because the unbelievers saw the apostles and said they were Christ-like. They were Christ-like. And we love that, you know, because we are to be Christ-like because Jesus said, as I am, so are you. And as time goes on, people have tried to call us other names to keep us within their own narrative, to keep us in the box of their own acceptance and acceptability. But the church of God needs to wake up more in these times to the very names that we are called by God. And that is the reason why we looked at the name Cyrus from Isaiah chapter 45. And these teachings are available on our podcast. They're available when you search for Communion House on YouTube. Or you can simply go to a Facebook page and scroll. And then you'll see these messages if you need to get caught up with with this concept of the name of the church, the identity of the believer, and the series uh, that we've been taking on both Tuesday, uh, both during the Tuesday teaching and the Sunday services as well. And so get caught up if you need to. But for today, I just want to quickly mention before going into this teaching, the name Cyrus, 
which means the one that possesses the furnace and how directly that was what Jesus told his disciples after he, he asked them who the world say, who, who he said to them, he asked them, who do people say that I am? I, the son of man, who do they say that I am? And of, of course, you know, you know how the story went. They said, well, some say you're a, you're a prophet. Some say you're a teacher. Some even dare to say that you are Elijah that is to come. And Jesus said, okay, I hear all of that. But who do you say that I am? And they said you, and Peter spoke by the Holy Spirit. He says, you are Christ, the son of the living God. Now it is important because we are being given a guideline through that ex experience and the guideline is to be mindful of what the world say that we are, but to also know who God says that we are. So the world may say this, we need to know it because we can't afford to be ignorant of the devices of the crafty, of the enemy, of the opposition, of the adversary, but we need to know even more deeply and genuinely what God is saying by his Holy Spirit. Because these things continue to play out in our world. In the world today, people don't like to talk about warfare. They don't like to talk about adversary when it comes to the church. But of course, we can talk about making war with other nations. We can talk about the warfare that is going on in different regions in the world. But we don't want to talk about or even think about the fact that even we are at war as believers. And that's why the Bible says that we wrestle not, not against flesh and blood. The Bible could have just said we wrestle not. And then we know that, okay, Jesus did all the wrestling. We just need to do all the living. No, we still are in a battle. And we are in this battle. And Jesus let us know again and again that we have an adversary whose name is Satan or that we call Satan. And so if Jesus taught his disciples that, and if the Bible, through the letters of the apostles, continually reminded us of the fact that we are at war, then why do we want to continue to buy into this um, idea that we're not at war? You know, I know that some Christians, the moment you talk about warfare, you talk about spiritual warfare, you talk about being on guard and being at alert. They're like, man, you're doing too much. Grace covers a multitude of saints. Yes, I know, but does grace fight a multitude of battles? You see, so that's the thing that you need to ask yourself. We still need to fight these battles. We still need to be at alert so that the devil does not take advantage of us. Jesus says, keep your eyes open, watch and pray, be sober and be vigilant. All of these things are commands that you give to an army to keep their eyes open, to be at attention, to be at alert, to know that at any point in time, you may get fired at, you may get shot at, the enemy would come at you. It is with this consciousness that each one of us begins to get the right kind of preparation or to, to have that consciousness in, in all seriousness is to have the mentality of preparedness and vigilance. And so the Cyrus one, makes it very clear because when Jesus asked them, who do they say that I am? And who do you know that I am? And they said that you were Christ. Peter saying that Jesus says, you are Peter. And upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it.
And so if he's saying, I will build my church, he didn't say, I will build my church and the gates of heaven will open to receive her. He says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So that means he has an expectation for us to go toward the gates of hell and reclaim things that have already been given to us that the enemy is still sitting on. And so as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, it is important for us. It's actually become utterly imperative for us to be able to think with that mindset so that whenever we see the fire, whenever we feel the opposition, we don't coward away or shy away and go and hide in a little corner and cry for Jesus to come. Again, we should not remain in that escapist mindset that, oh, one day after we have been so oppressed by the devil, the trumpets will blow and boom, we're going to escape from here. I don't want us to have that mentality because that is not the mentality that God wants us to have. According to his word, we're not supposed to be escaping from war we're supposed to win be victorious and then ride into glory to receive our crowns you see what i mean and so we need to stand and to stand means to stand with the right kind of posture we need to stand as an army we're not supposed to just stand as a bystander because some people stand as bystanders just waiting and willing to observe what's going on but an army stands willing ready and prepared to advance and take territories so enough said but i just thought you know i'll remind us of that and give that as a background because today i'm going to be speaking about friendship you know how they say in the world how people who have this expression that says oh you know what i know you want us to be more than you know just acquaintances uh but to be honest i think let's just be friends you know i know that traditionally i think women say that more to men but, you know, this, this day and age that we're in, it, it's probably 50-50, wherein men also say to women who are show interest in them and say, you know what, let's just be friends. Let's just keep it as friends. So the title of my message today actually sounds very much like that. In the world, traditionally, we say, let's just be friends. But today, the title of my friend, my message is Be Just Friends. Be Just Friends. Let us pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you because the entrance of your word brings light and understanding unto the simple. As we go into this holy concept of divine friendship today, may our eyes be open to see what you see friendship to be. And Lord, by humility and by your grace, let us find the ease to let go of the mentalities that we have had and the culture of friendship that we have learned from the world that may be in opposition to that which is clearly spelt out in your word, in the mighty name of Jesus. And above all, let us see that we are your friends. In Jesus' name, amen, amen and amen. God is good. All righty. So someone is like, wow, that's a jump. We went from talking about being alert as an army to now, to, to now um, the concept of friends. Because when you're thinking as a soldier, when you're thinking as an army, particularly when we've made the declaration prophetically that the Armageddon has begun and that we need to be at alert, that we are the Cyruses of this world to go and take the gates of the enemy, that we are Jerubbaal like Gideon, who is contending against the spirit of the age, that we are the ones that God has called to be part of his army that will ride into victory, um, and be declared as the more than conquerors. When you're thinking like that, you're more meant to be in your fierce state of mind. So how do we 
go from all of that to talking about friends? Well, the reason why we're talking about friends today is primarily because it was inspired in my heart by the Holy Spirit. And I know that it's part of what the Holy Spirit is saying to the churches for today. Um, and secondly, is we are not a one-man army. Even though we have all of the alertness and we should be reminded of all the alertness um, in our hearts as being an army so that we can take a stand and be diligent in making preparations and making sure that we exercise ourselves in the weapons of our warfare so that we get better, you know, because our senses are sharpened by reason of use. Even though all of that is at play, we also need the cohesiveness amongst one another because we are not a one-man army. We are the army of the Lord Jesus Christ and we need to remain united and we need to have the right kind of attitude toward one another. It's just like the cross. It's not just going vertically. It's not just standing vertically going from you to God or from the earth to heaven, but it's also spread out horizontally talking about the willingness of each of us to open our hearts and give of ourselves as Jesus did. And he said, greater love has no man than this, than for a man to give his life for his friends. Now, he didn't say to just give his life randomly. He said to give his life for his friends. And so if the ultimate example that Jesus laid for us was to give his life for his friends, and we know that we are supposed to not just give our lives to Christ, but to see how he gave his life to us and then give our lives to others. So if we take that and knowing that that is the ultimate example, then we must always be prepared to give ourselves to our friends. Which means you need to know who your friends are. And once you know who your friends are, you need to be able to treat them as friends. And there's a buildup to being able to give yourself to others. And we would look a little bit at some of the things that Jesus said and other things that have been prophesied about friendship. Because I believe by the grace of God that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ today will only make it through the oppositions of our times if we know how to be there for one another, how to stay united and how to stay strong in the midst of all of the opposition. So let's take a quick look at the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verse 12. Now, some of you may have noticed that in recent times, a lot of the scriptures that I read here are like, you know, Jude, Judges chapter 7, verse 7, Matthew 7, 7, 2 Chronicles 20, 20, and these numbers have been in alignment. Um, I think it's because we're in the year 2020, and, you know, we already have that balance. We already have that scale being presented where you have 20 on this side and 20 on the other side. But then at the end of the day, it could also be that we've always read scriptures like that without paying attention. Uh, but now in 2020, we're a little bit more aware and, and, and ready to see such patterns when we see them. So Hebrews chapter 12, verse 12, and I'm just going to read from here, uh, all, always from the New King James Bible, or maybe I should say almost always. And this is what it says, Hebrews 12, 12. It says, therefore, therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but be healed. Now, before we go on, let me just take a quick moment to remind us something that I said last week when I was talking about Gideon. I said the folks that did not make the final cut, 
the ones that were not part of the 300 may have been sent back home, but they were not cut from the promises of Abraham. They were not dislocated, even though they were decommissioned. They were decommissioned from the army. They were taken out because they brought things to the table that diluted the strategy of heaven. Strategy number one that was being threatened was the fact that the numbers of the people, if they won with the number that assembled initially, they may have taught to themselves that it was because of their numbers. And the Bible says God will not share his glory with anyone. So they have to be cut down. Then the other thing that was being threatened was because God leads us into battle by his Holy Spirit in the spirit and in the heart of boldness. Remember when Joshua was being raised by God to take over from Moses and then take the land from the giants. What did God say to him? God said to him, be bold and be courageous. God keeps kept saying that to him because of the fact that almost all his ministry life and service to other people, he has served under the cloud of, under the pillar of fire by night and the pillar of cloud by day. He has served under God's protection and being under God's protection could easily have allowed for his heart to always stay covered up in a blankie saying, you know what, no matter what is out there, I have protection. But God is saying now, I am your protection. I am the one that covers you with my Shekinah glory. But then this is the time for you to throw away the blankie and get up and go outside and face the opposition. I am sending you out because without you confronting the opposition, you cannot possess that which I have for you. You see, as believers and as Christians in this generation, we have very greatly enjoyed God's protection to the point wherein when now anyone is saying, wow, the Lord is saying we need to go out. We need to advance. People are like, no, 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 no. We're happy staying behind the cloud, just staying right here as dear children. Okay. You see, all that protection is preservation that allows for us to grow and mature. But when the time comes, we step out and we go out. So the ones who didn't step out confidently enough in the book of Judges chapter 7, the account of Gideon, God said to them at the Mount of Gilead, because they were afraid at the Mount of Gilead, let them go home. So they were lame, but they did not get dislocated. The reason why this is critical especially in the times that we're in, is because you as a believer may identify or may have come in contact or may have observed certain believers or certain people who are no longer sounding or who aren't sounding as bold and as confident in the things of God as you or as they should sound. And your heart could easily write them off if you haven't followed closely or if we are not as conversant with the way God operates. We may just say, you know what? These guys, we're not going to let them slow us down, so we're just going to cut them off. No, they may be lame in some capacity, but not dislocated. And the way they're not going to be completely cut off is if we recognize that no matter the state or the condition of anyone who is named by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we should always make that commitment and be ready to renew the commitment 
to be there for them. Because we are an army. And when an army goes to battle, some people will get hit. Some people will get hit harder than the others. Hebrews 12, 12 says, now because you are in spiritual warfare, you need to be mindful of the fact that some will be hit by the, uh, by the enemy. The infantry will get hit. Some people will be knocked off the cavalry, but you don't stop fighting, but at the same time, do not stop looking after one another. So even though I've got my eye set as a flint with godly fierceness to take territories for God and to resist the opposition, and put Baal in its place, put the spirit of this age in its place, I must also with that same gust, with that same gusto, I mean, and with that same zest, be ready to pull in my brethren who may have become lame in the process. Pull in and build up those that may have been attacked. Now, what the Lord is showing to me, which I'm sharing with you today, is if we do not see our comrades as friends, then we may not find the resolve within us to be accommodating, to be understanding, and more importantly, to be healing of them. And what I mean by to be healing of them is to come to their aid and to see to their healing and restoration. I think it behoves us to pay attention to these things and possibly to even read this again. It says, therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. Verse 13 says, and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. Now, it took me a while to actually pay attention to this, to understand what the Bible means by saying to make your feet straight. We are the body of Christ. If some of our brethren have fallen for some of the antiques of Satan, if they have been knocked out of place, there's no way we can move forward if you don't bring them into alignment. And that is the reason why we need to care about every single person. We need to care about every single person. And God has already set certain things into motion that allows for us to find the help, the strength, and the agility that we need to be there for one another. And it is called the heart of friendship. Because by default, when you love somebody as a friend, you find it easy to stand by them and stand with them. How do I know that? Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24. In the book of Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24, let me read for this Bible here and read it for, out to us very quickly. Um, Romans 18, I mean, Proverbs 18, 24, such an interesting verse of scripture because it is actually, um, it's it, in a way it is ambiguous because it has two meanings. The original text can be translated into two things that sound very different, like they could even be the opposite of one another. And we're going to look at those two things today as a foundation to what it means to be just friends. Remember, I'm not saying let's just be friends. I'm saying let's be just friends. Be just friends. And it's going to be clear in a moment. I don't want to give it all away just yet. But now Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24, this is what it says. It says a man who has friends must himself be friendly. But there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Now, the part of it that says there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother is not just talking about proximity. 
right? Because in the in a, in, a, in in another scripture, the Bible says, "Woe unto the one who goes to his brother's house in the day of adversity." But the Bible is saying, you don't have to go to your brother who lives in Tennessee while you live in Georgia in the day of trouble when there's a neighbor next door. Why would you go and search for a friend? I mean, for a brother when there's a friend nearby. And so we know that talks about proximity. But there is another verse of scripture that says that a brother is born for adversity and a friend loves at all times. You see, it says that a friend loves at all times. But not a brother, but a friend. It is important for us to know the distinction that heaven makes, the distinction that God makes between a friend and a brother. If I am your brother, I know the Bible says that a brother is born for the day of, of adversity. And what does that mean? You see, as a family that has a huge inheritance, in the day of adversity, we may have to split the inheritance of our family and our kingdom and, be, and position them at different territories so that the enemy cannot hit us once and have it all. So for the day of adversity, you need your heir. You need, I mean, you need a fellow heir with you. You need a brother to be able to minimize the risk of confronting or being confronted with, adver with adversity in, in adverse times. But a friend, on the other hand, is one that is expected to love at all times. So let me bring this home to the body of Christ. If I am just your brother, because both of us are born again into the family of God and our siblings with the Lord Jesus Christ, as the Bible says that we are heirs of salvation together with him. He was that grain of wheat that fell to the earth and died. And when he was raised he was raised to have to be the firstborn amongst many brethren. And so indeed, we have that relationship with Jesus as a, as a brother. But Jesus said to his disciples in John chapter 15, verse 15, he says, no longer do I call you servants. The word servant there is a word, is a word that is sometimes translated as a child, which is not to be confusing because the Bible says that an offspring, while still a child, does not differ from a servant. And so what Jesus was saying was tantamount or could be applicable to the concept of brotherhood. He says, but no longer do I call you servants, but I call you friends. No longer do I call you servants, but I call you friends. Why was he saying that? You see, if you have this mentality of I'm a servant in this house, or I'm a child in this house, I'm a brother of this person, when difficulties of certain degrees come, you may doubt your commitment to that person. You can say things like, look, the fact that we were born in the same house doesn't mean that I'm going to have to be taking the hit for you all the time. But the Bible says that if you are already in the status of a friend, you have no choice. You have to love all the time. That is what it means to be a friend. And Jesus told that to his disciples just shortly before he was arrested, tried, and crucified. Because he knew that the time was coming wherein they would have to love him through thick and thin. And Jesus was evoking the spirit of the wisdom of God that we've already seen through the ministry of the prophets and the psalmists. And King Solomon, who said to us that a friend loves at all times. So it, Proverbs 18, 24 that we have just read says what? It says that you 
who has a friend must show yourself friendly. Whenever God says you must do something, it's because being the just God that he is, he's already made provision for you to have the strength, the ability, and the divine enablement to do that thing. And so God's giving us the ability to be able to stand by each other as friends and to love each other through any kind of opposition, particularly through the apostasy, particularly through these times that we're living in, wherein we seem to have opinions that are not uniform, wherein we seem to find each other having to defend ourselves every now and again against what another brethren is saying or against what people are saying about you and your brothers and sisters in Christ. And so when we are in a time such as this, even though we are an army, we need to show ourselves friendly. Now, the reason why I said Proverbs 18, 24 is an interesting verse of scripture is because the same statement that says he that has a friend must show himself friendly. When translated, it becomes an ambiguous statement because it also means you may come to ruin. Oh, yes. Now, I know that. Many Bible scholars have um, fought over this and debated over this and argued time and time again about which one is correct. Are we to be friends and show ourselves friendly? Or are we to be mindful of being friends so that we don't come to ruin? It is very interesting because this is exactly what plays out day to day. I've seen pastors who say, no, I don't get too close to the congregation. I don't get too close to the people because the moment you start being close and you're seen as a friend, then people start to take advantage of you. And rather than quote scriptures, people have quoted uh, wise words or the words of men's wisdom. Things like, oh, familiarity breeds con con contempt or whatever that word is, you know, that, oh, I can't afford to be too familiar. And so I don't want to be friends so that I do not come to ruin. Let me help you here. Your Bible may have a footnote at that expression, the A part of Proverbs 18, 24, where it says, he that has friends must show himself friendly. There's a footnote in most Bibles that I have seen that then point you to, uh, uh, to the other meaning that says may come to ruin. Now, many people have taken the may come to ruin and used it as a justification for not allowing themselves to be friends with other people in the body of Christ. Recently, a group of people were chatting um, online in a, in a Facebook group for our community um, here in Gwinnett that my wife is, and they were talking about a church that they go to and they love the church simply because uh, they don't even have to interact with anybody. It's you and God. You just go in there and you, 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 you listen to the, the music and you watch the sermon and then you just go out straight to the door. Nobody, nobody bothers you. Nobody wants to get to know you. And some people are like, this is safe Christianity because there is the onus is not on them to show themselves friendly. So you see these two senses that are represented in here are represented in here almost like the example of Thomas, you know, Thomas the twin, you know, a part of him believed in the Lord Jesus, but a part of him did not believe. A part of him was happy to know that Jesus was resurrected, but then there was this other part of him who says, well, unless I see it, I did not believe. And so that that, that um, Thomastic um, phenomenon is being represented here because of the fact that 
to some of us, it is safer not to be friends so that we don't have, have our feelings hurt. And to some of us, we read it from with the first meaning that says that we have to show ourselves friendly. However you look at it, whichever way you swing, you will find examples that have worked. You find examples of pastors who have continued to maintain, or you find examples of believers in general who have continued to maintain a somewhat healthy relationship with other people without necessarily being friends with them. And you find examples of the ones who, regardless of being friendly, have continued to maintain that temple of heartbeat toward other people in terms of friendliness. Now, Someone is saying, okay, Brother Moses, thank you for confusing us. Thank you for bringing this thing out. I shared this with um, one of my brothers and, and, a, and a pastor last week. This scripture that he who has friends must show himself friendly or may come to ruin. And he was like, man, in like 30 years of ministry, I've never seen that. They said, wow, wow, okay. And so I know that could be the feeling right here where you're at saying, wow, I, I was just happy reading it as he who has friends must show himself friendly. But now that you're saying that I may come to ruin, that the Bible says that I may come to ruin by showing myself friendly. So how do we go about it? What is the balance? How do we strike a balance? Is there even a balance? Yes, there is a balance. And that balance is what we just read in Hebrews chapter 12. You see, the thing is, we have to show ourselves friendly. Otherwise, as a collective, we may come to ruin. Let me say that again. The reason why many people have not been showing themselves friendly is that personally, it places a burden on you to show yourself friendly at all times, simply because number one, you become more vulnerable and you could be taken advantage of. And so to protect your own ego and self-esteem, there are times when you shy away from showing yourself friendly. So that you don't ruin your reputation, so that you don't come to the ruin of being taken advantage of or being guilty of over familiarity. But let us look beyond the self. Let us look at the body. In the body of Christ, it is very critical for us to be friends with one another simply because it is the only way to access the eternal resilience that is in the hearts of that is in the heart of God and made available to man with which to love at all times. I'm going to say that again slowly. The only way to be able to love one another through differences in doctrines, the only way to love one another through all of the opposition that we're faced with, through the disappointments, through even the apostasy, is to be able to love each other as friends. That is the only way. I have searched through scriptures and the ones before me have done the same. And we have yet to find, at least I have yet to find, another concept in the word of God, in the Bible, that tells us of a power with which to love at all times. Someone says, we know one, a mother loves at all times. Wow, really? When the Bible says that the arm of flesh shall fail, when the Bible says that a time there is a time to, to hold dear and the time to restrain from embrace, have we not seen that even at times a mother struggles with being able to love a child? Or you're saying even in general, a parent should love at all times. And the Bible lets us know that a time is coming wherein mothers will turn against daughters and fathers will turn against sons. And even family units will be 
so impacted by the opposition in the world that they would turn against one another. We have read that in scripture. So let us not bring that sentiment of a mother or father loving at all times. Let us just go strictly by what the word of God says. The word of God says a friend loves at all times. And so that is the reason why more than anything or more than at any other time, the body of Christ should wake up to this notion and to this sense and sensibility of being friends. Because if we are not friends, listen to me, folks, if we are not friends, we will struggle to love one another in the days ahead. Already it's beginning to happen. Wherein, I mean, look at it this way. Somebody said to me, he said, well, in this COVID-19, we've not been hanging out with folks. We've not been going to any gatherings. The only thing is we've just kept our close friends that we continue to do life with. And I'm like, wow. So because of COVID-19, you have decided to keep away from the, popul from the crowd and the congregation, but you have kept your close friends. Isn't that interesting that no matter what it is, we always want to have our friends with us. We always want to keep certain people close to us so that when we're down in the trenches, we're not down there alone. And the reason why our hearts naturally do that is because the word of God says that is the way to love at all times. That is the way to do it. And so if I am going to love you, if I'm a Republican and you're a Democrat and I'm going to love you in these times that we're in as the divide is getting wider, it's only going to happen if I first of all see you as a friend before I see you as another citizen. If I am a Democrat and you a Republican in the election that is coming, the only way that I'm going to love you through the things that you post is if I first of all see you as a member of the body of Christ that Jesus says is a friend, unless, unless I see you as a friend, I may not be able to genuinely love you through the disagreements and through the discords and through the ever-widening chasm that is seen in the world today between people and between nations. The secret, my friends, is that we need to love one another. And the way to make it possible, or the way to make it easier, or the way to begin to understand it better, is that we need to first of all know what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 23. Remember that we read in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 12, of the need to have friends, the need to be friendly with one another, to heal the brokenhearted, to ensure that the lame is not dislocated. But there is something that was said 10 verses away from that in Hebrews 12, 23, that begins to let our hearts receive more of the divine enablement to love one another as friends. Let us look at it together. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 23. And I'm going to read from, um, actually, I think I may have had it open here. So I'm going to read it here so that we can all just um, save some time. There you go. Hebrews 12, 23. This is what it says. Actually, let me read from verse 22. Verse 22 says, but you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect. To the spirit of just men made perfect. To Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. 
To who? To Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than the blood of Abel. Folks, this is the secret to genuine friendship. To first of all recognize that you have come to an assembly of the church of the firstborn. That that brother and sister of yours who disagrees with you on whether to wear the mask or not to wear the mask. Before they are a person with an opinion, they are a member of the church of the firstborn. Before they are political, they are a member of the church of the firstborn who is registered in heaven. So as long as I am willing to accept you as a member of the firstborn of the church of the firstborn, then that church is the church of friends because Jesus said it, that you are no longer servants. I do not call you servants any longer. I call you friends. We are a church of friends. We are a gathering of friends. We are indeed an army of friends. It doesn't matter what kind of weapon God has trained you to carry. It doesn't matter what strategy for warfare that God has instructed you to fight with. You are primarily a member of the church of the firstborn, the church of friends. You also have your name written in the Lamb's book of life. You may not like the way that I am doing church, but it's okay because you need to like me because I am church. You may not like the way that I see certain things in the world, but it's okay because of the fact that I am registered in heaven. No matter what you do, I remain a member of the church of Jesus Christ, which is the church or a church of friends. It is a gathering of friends. Jesus said it, not me. He said, I am pulling you together as friends. So when I begin to say to myself, if truly the secret to loving at all times is to love as a friend, then there must be certain rudiments that are there to help me actually practice Friendship loving or loving as a friend. You know that the Bible describes, I mean, that people say that, oh, there is a kind of love that is agape love. It is the God kind of love because it is unconditional. But then they say there is another kind of love that is the filio, which is the kind of love that you have for your friend. I think I'm saying that right, because one of them is the kind of love that you have for a friend and the other one is eros, the kind of love that you have for someone that you're intimately involved with. But you see this filial love, which is where we get the word Philadelphia, is a love that is meant to be the brotherhood kind of love. Let me tell you something, that is the wisdom of man. But the wisdom of the word of God says that the love with which you love others is the agape love, period, simply because God says in his word that a friend loves at all times. That means regardless of the condition a friend loves. So the kind of love that God expects to exist between two friends is what? The unconditional kind of love, which is the agape love. Let us simplify our own lives by dropping all of those other kind of love mentalities and just holding on to the agape love because it's the kind of love that exists between friends, the biblical way, the kingdom way, because that is the only kind of love that will survive. Because when the conditions change 
And when the situations evolve, there are times when some people become a bit more unlovable if you only want to love them as brothers because they show you very clearly that they are no longer part of your brotherhood. And if you are not part of my brotherhood and all the love that I've ever had for you is the filial love, then I don't love you anymore. Simple. It's not because I stopped loving you. It's because you walked away out of the brotherhood. And so I'm justified not to extend any more love to you because I define the sphere of my love as my local church. I define the sphere of my love as my, my, my political party. I define the sphere of my love as those people who have the same doctrinal beliefs and practices as me. So the moment you walk out of that church, the moment you join that other political party, the moment you stop saying the things that we believe about the Holy Spirit, about the doctrines of the kingdom, then I no longer love you. Wrong, wrong, wrong. That is a filial kind of love. A friend kind of love. A God kind of love. The unconditional agape kind of love will go the extra mile to pursue you with that love Romans chapter 3 verse 23 the Bible says that the Bible, Romans chapter 3 verse 5 the Bible says that while we were yet sinners Christ died for us the love of God came in a hot chase even though we didn't remain in the garden where he put us he came out of the garden of his pleasure after us to love us anyway and that is the reason why when you are a friend the ones that have become lame to the agenda that you stand for should not be dislocated. They do not have to be cut off. That's what the Bible is saying. You need to reach out to them for healing, for restoration, because when they are healed, you are healed because the church is not going to move forward with a feet that is lame. And that is why the Bible encourages us here through the author of Hebrews by the Holy Spirit, by the inspiration of the Holy Ghost to come together and love one another through it all, through thick and thin simply because we are members of the church of friends which is the church of the lord jesus christ and our names are registered in heaven and the third one is where i got the title of my message from which is that you need to recognize that you have come to the assembly of who not the third one actually the third one it says the god that god is the judge of all the spirits which is the fourth one that we have come to the spirits of just man made perfect let me let's play with some words here let's have a play of words all right we have come to the spirit of just man made perfect the best of men at their very best are just men they are still men i may be just a man but you know what i have been made perfect now, that is the first play on words. I know that isn't what it means, but look, we can, we can look at it from that perspective. But what it really means here is that we are just men, justified men. That's what it means. For the just shall live by faith. Those of us who live in the faith that we have, even the faith of the Son of God, the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ, those of us who live by faith are called just men. The ones that he foreknew, that he predicted, destined the ones that he called and the ones that he justified we are justified by the grace through faith by the grace of our lord jesus christ through his faith not of works not of ourselves lest any man should boast when i look at you my brother and my sister i see a friend that was justified by the blood of jesus that was justified by the finished work at calvary by this finished work of calvary because it wasn't finished just at calvary it was built up and the declaration of its completion was made at calvary and so those of us who 
have been made just because of what the Lord Jesus did do not need to do anything else to impress or to convince another that they are worthy of love. You are worthy of love because you are part of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, the church of friends, and because your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, and that because God is your judge, and that you have come to me as I have come to you by the Holy Spirit that sheds abroad the love of God in our hearts. And that is the justification and all the justification I need in this life and beyond to pursue you lovingly, to love you through all of it, to love you through whatever you may be putting on, to love you through whatever you may be putting out, to love you through whatever you may be putting in place. I tell you what, no matter what it is, a friend loves at all times. Until we begin to lean in as friends, we will not tap into the fullness of that unction and that juice and that anointing with which to love one another at all times. And lastly, my brothers and sisters, the Bible says that we have come to the spirit and to the gathering of just men made perfect. The reason why we may be perfect in the eyes of our father is because Jesus justified us. So I'm not going to say that you are only going to be my friend when you do everything perfectly, when you show up on time, in time, all the time. That is not when you are my friend. You're not just going to be my friend when you come to the, you go to the same as fellowship as me. You're not going to be my friend only when you give to the ministry that I'm serving in, that I am a part of. You're not only, only going to be my friend when I know that you're praying for me and praying for my family. You are my friend at all times and I'm going to love you at all times. Simply because even when you are not doing things right, God in his love and by his grace has made you right. So let us be just friends. Let us be friends that are justified. So stop asking for people to meet your expectation until you can let them into your circle of friends. No, they are just. And because they are justified, they are your friends. So together we can be friends that love at all times. Let us be justified friends. Let us be just friends. Let everybody be acceptable to you as you were accepted in the beloved. And so folks, I know that we have been much on this series of being an army, but this dimension, I hope it resonates well with us and sits well with us as well, because it is a call to action. And the action is to love at all times. And the call is to friendship. Let us love one another as friends, not just as bro brothers and sisters, not just as comrades in an army, not just as co-laborers, but as friends that have been made just by the blood of the Lamb. Alrighty? And I know for sure that this is yet one of those prophetic heads up for the days ahead. As much as it is valid today, this encouragement, this charge, this word, and this insight is about to become even more applicable to the body of Christ in the days ahead because the fire is being turned on. Remember the Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they were thrown into the fire, the People who put the furnace together said the fire needs to burn even brighter. So they increased the flame. And I know that the opposition is about to increase the flame in our country, increase the flame in the world, increase the flame of opposition against the church. And rather than 
using that as an excuse to demonize and to debase and to demean another brother or sister for being even further away from you and your belief system. I want to encourage you to see that as a challenge to be overcome, to pursue and to chase after one another lovingly, simply because we are of the same family, the same church of friends, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Keep loving, keep believing in one another because love believes all things and keep standing strong. No matter what happens, we are together lifting up the arms that are weak. Once again, it's Moses Anderson, lead pastor here at, here at Communion House. and it is. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope it has been a blessing to you. For more information, visit us at www.communion.house and follow us on all social media platforms at Communion House. Again, that's www.communion.house and all social media platforms at Communion House. Thank you and God bless.